In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord Almighty to you priests to despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting to file food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord Almighty. And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Ask the Lord Almighty. I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun to the setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is in contempt. You also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord Almighty. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands, asked the Lord? The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name will be feared among the nations. Amen. You may be seated. Do you struggle to follow God consistently? Malachi's call, his message, prompts us to live faithfully before God. And Malachi was confronting the hypocrites with their sin. By pro he was portraying a graphic conversation between a righteous God and his hardened people. He rebukes the people and priests for neglecting the worship of God and failing to live accordingly to God's will. Understand, I think we understand who God is. God loves perfectly and completely. And his love is a love of action. Giving, guiding, guarding. He's altogether faithful. True to his promises to his chosen people and to his church. But consistently, in our text, God's people rejected him. Breaking the covenant following other gods, living, living life for themselves. So the relationship was shattered. It was broken. This is the message that Malachi, God's prophet in Jerusalem, uh, is presenting uh, to his people. His words reminded the Israelites of their willful disobedience. And to give you an outline of how this book of Malachi journeys, he begins with the priest in chapter 1 to the first few verses of, of chapter 2. And then he includes every person in chapter 2 through the first part of chapter 3. The relationship was broken, and judgment and punishment would be the consequences of that broken relationship. 
But during the wickedness, during this disobedience, there were a faithful few, the remnant, who loved and honored and cherished God. And God would shower his blessings upon them, uh, upon these few. And that is mentioned in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And we'll cover all of that in the next few weeks. But Malachi paints a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness that clearly shows them to be deserving of punishment. But what's so great about this very small book in the Bible, woven throughout this small book of Malachi, is hope, the possibility of forgiveness. As we, over the next few weeks, study the book of Malachi, I challenge you to see yourself as a recipient of this word of God to his people. And then I want you to evaluate the depth of your commitment in your faith journey, the sincerity of your worship, and the direction of your life. And then allow God to restore your relationship with him through his love and through his forgiveness. You know, we talk a lot about giving our best, right? Whether it's on our job, whether it's at school, uh, or in sports, we emphasize giving our best. Did you know that when it comes to worship, God expects you to give your best? To give your best. That shouldn't be foreign to you. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, God is telling his people, when you worship, I want you to give your very best. Now, he's not talking about what you wear. Understand something. I do not dress up to impress God. The only person I dress up for is to, to impress is Sheila. And she says I need to do that more often. If you want to impress God, have pure hands and a clean heart and give your best. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, The Lord looks on the heart. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever, you're fine, uh, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Don't you want to give your best? I want to preach and teach my best. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, I shared this with the guys several weeks back. I want you to understand something. I'm a dying man preaching to dying people. What we discuss each week is a matter of life and death, heaven or hell. And what is true of preaching is true with our praying. When we pour out our hearts to God, it should come from the depths of our heart and our soul. Are you giving your best? And what is true of preaching and praying is also true of our singing and praising. When you sing, you should give it your very best. Focus on the words. Sing them in such a way that honors God and encourages those that are sitting next to you. 
And what is true of preaching, praying, singing should be true of our giving. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says what? God loves a what? Cheerful giver. And what is true of preaching, praying, singing, singing and giving should be the uh, be true of also the Lord's Supper. When we stop and focus on the most important event in history, the death of Christ on the cross, we should give our best to the Lord. Amen? Here's the question. When it comes to your personal worship, do you give God your best? Do you give God your best? Look at what the Israelites were giving God. Look at our text, verses 6 through 14. In verse 8, they were giving blind, crippled, and diseased animals. They were bringing God their leftovers. And Malachi says, this is just wrong. This is wrong. When it comes to worship, then, as in the day of Malachi, or even now in the 21st century church, God does not want our leftovers. God doesn't change. God didn't want a second-class animal offering. And God doesn't want a second-class effort. It must be without blemish or, or defect to be acceptable to the Lord. And yet, that's exactly what the Israelites were doing. And Malachi, I don't know if you caught this, but he asked a very interesting question in verse 8. He says, try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Hmm, very interesting question. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not, uh, would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Essentially, God is saying this. Why don't you just close the temple? Close the church doors. If you're not going to give me your best, shut the doors and forget about it. It's useless. I'm not pleased. I won't accept it. In verses 12 and 13 of our text, God uses the words profane, defiled, and contemptible. In fact, he says that his people have made worship a burden rather than a blessing. And then you get to verse 14. He says they're, they're a cheat. When one fails to give God their best... They're cheating themselves, and they're cheating God. Now, with all these things in mind, remembering Scripture, what we just read, again, I raise the question, when you worship, do you give God your best? Do you give Him your best? You say, I want to, but how do I do it? How do I give God my best? First, we are to make worship a priority in our life. That's first and foremost. 
Where does worship fit into your schedule? Now, I know we think we're busy people. But if we're too busy to live a life of worship for God and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what? Our priorities are out of order, totally out of order. Worship is something that we get to do and not something that we have to do. And actually, a different teaching in itself, actually worship is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's what your faith journey is. Truth is, when you take a got-to approach to worship, you wind up doing what the Israelites of Malachi's day did. You do not offer your best. You're going through the motions. You're doing it just because this is what we've been doing for 30, 40, 50 years. Second, if you want to give God your best, make worship God-centered. Make worship God-centered. Do you realize what we're created for? We are created for one reason and one reason only. Scripture makes that very clear. We're created for one reason, and that is to worship God and please Him. That's what life is all is supposed to be about. We're created to worship God and please Him. We're not here, we're not here to, to critique who should and should not be taking the Lord's Supper or criticize who isn't giving or how much they're giving or complain about the kind of clothes someone is wearing or to analyze one's singing ability or lack thereof. That's the category I fall in. Nor are we here to debate with one another. We are here to worship God. We're here to worship God. And worship is not a time to solve the world problems. It's a time to focus on God. And in doing so, we will all soon discover, as I have, I begin to solve some of my own problems as I look at me and my relationship with the Lord. We can solve a lot of problems in our own lives. Third, if you want to give God your best in worship, involve your heart and not just your lips. It's so easy to go through the outward motions when our hearts and minds are somewhere else, right? Isn't that right? Easy to sing words, easy to pray words, easy to partake in the Lord's Supper, go through the motions of church traditions, church rituals. That's all so easy. Examine yourself. Two interesting words. Examine yourself. That is such a unique human quality. Think about that. The ability to look inside yourself and examine your very thought process, your attitude, your heart, your personality, your commitment or lack thereof, your motives, 
That's so unique in a human being. You know, understand this, you know right now where your thoughts are. Where your focus is. Where your heart is. You know that right now. The Israelites in the book of Malachi are, were so often just going through the outward observances of worship without involving the heart. And it was worthless. God says, close the doors. I don't need this. How do I give my very best to God? Before worship, make some preparations. Make some preparations. First of all, just think, uh, uh, we prepare physically, right? We bathe, dress, put on, our, put on deodorant, comb our hair, brush our teeth, and that's all good. But none of that will help you worship. It might be good for the person you're sitting next to. But do you spend any time preparing spiritually? Preparing your spirit for worship? How much more meaningful and encouraging our worship would be if we would take the time to prepare spiritually? How is that possible? I mean, we see the need for preparation in so many areas of our life. And we attempt to do those things. But then we jump up on Sunday mornings and we make a mad rush for the church building. No wonder we fail to give our best in worship because you're not prepared. Can you imagine what our corporate worship would be like if we each lived a daily life of worship prior to the Sunday worship? I imagine that all the time. From Malachi chapter 1, God says, when you worship me, I want you to give me your very best. That's what I want you to hear. That's what I want you to take with you. That's what I want you to be encouraged by. And that is what I want you to apply to your life. In worship, draw closer to God. When you worship, listen for God. Seek God. Finally, if you want to give God your best, be a participant and not just a spectator. You are here to worship. Lift your hearts before God. Sing, pray, listen, focus on the cross. Get into the word. Share the gospel. Draw close to the Lord. And when you worship, understand this, when you worship, God is to be your only audience. Did you hear that? When you worship, God is to be your only audience. How are you doing? How are you doing when it comes to worship in your life? If you want to give God your best, expect something wonderful to happen in worship.
It should be an expectation every day of your life that God is going to do something big, powerful, life-changing. That's the way the people of the Bible lived. What do you expect? That's probably what you'll get. If you expect worship to be a challenging, life-changing experience, it very well can happen. Understand that no one can keep you from standing up and singing your heart out. No one can keep you from standing up, kneeling down, and praising God and giving it all you have. No one can stop you. No one can keep you from humbling your heart and praying to God. No one can keep you from focusing on the cross or partake of the Lord's Supper. No one can keep you from discovering a life-changing truth as Scripture is read and discussed. No one can keep you from challenging and encouraging others. No one can. No one, that is, except you. And you'll probably get what you expect. As I close, as the praise team gets ready to share with us. So what do you expect? Do you expect God to be glorified, the lost to be saved, the weak to be strengthened, the strong to be encouraged? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the people in Malachi's day. I don't want my worship be, to be second-rate leftover, oh, leftovers that God rejects. How about you? Worship was a burden for these people. It was a burden to them. So much so they, I can live with it or without it. No, you can't. Too many people think that following God is supposed to make life easy and more comfortable. They're looking for a God of convenience. And I have never seen that more prevalent than in the 21st century church. They're looking for a convenient God. The truth is, Matthew chapter 7, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And listen to what Jesus says, and only a few find it. But if serving God is more important to you than anything else, what you give up is of little importance to what you gain. Eternal life with God. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As they play, I want you to respond to how God spoke to you this morning. We're on a journey. 
And it's, isn't it amazing how these small books of the Bible that many of us do not even turn to reflect our lives in the 21st century? The Word of God is more true today than it has ever been. So, Lord, Heavenly Father, as we begin to close this corporate worship time out, I pray that our hearts, our minds, our souls have changed over the last several minutes. That the only focus we have is honoring and glorifying you, worshiping you, thanking you for all that you have given. Yes, Lord. The breath that you gave. The life that rests in the palm of your hand. I pray that we're mindful of the good God that you are, the gracious and merciful God you are, but you are also a just God. So I pray that we seek you in this moment. Those that may be viewing um, live stream, those that may be in this building, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves them into giving their best in their faith journey. And those that haven't even come, come to the cross at this point, I pray that the Holy Spirit moves into the cross this morning. Knowing that Christ died for a disobedient life, for sin, to give us hope of eternal life with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand and see and respond.
life, the ups and downs. Joy comes from a consistent and focused relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm about to close out here. I'm going to turn it back over to Kathy. And she's going to... I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Aren't you? Do you know anyone who's living this level of life? Joy unspeakable. Full of joy. Do you know anyone? How do we live a focused life in Christ? Verse 14, and then I'm, I think I'm done. Kathy, is that okay? <laughs> John 15, verse 14. Watch this. You are my friends if you do what I command. God expects our obedience. He expects it. He doesn't just want us to obey. He demands that we obey. Wow. What kind of life are you living? It is a, is a life that counts? Is Jesus Christ the focus of your life? That means that everything you do centers around him. Everything. I'll close with this one sentence. Christianity, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, is not a part-time life a sometime life. It is not. It's an all-time life. It's a surrendered life. Giving up of self. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, that is the cry of our hearts this morning. Your people calling. In repentance, forgive us of our self-righteousness, of our pride, of our disobedience, a selfish life that, Lord, we come before you this morning with one desire upon our hearts, and that's living a focused life in you and through you. Lord, I pray, and this is a bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, in the life of your people, professing Christians, your church, whatever it takes to bring us to our knees. and live 
a life centered on you. Put it before us, Lord. Put it before us. And in making that statement, I see one person. I see Jesus Christ. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit working upon those that are within the sound of these words, this prayer, whether it be in this building or online. Specifically, people online. You're welcome in the house of the Lord. Don't make him a life of convenience. God is calling us to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves within those that have been listening, those that have ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit moves them before your throne, on their knees, in repentance. and a desire to abide, to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand, respond to how God has spoken to you this morning, whether you be here physically or you're visiting us online. There are people online that will respond to you in prayer, information giving. Whatever it may, you may need in your life this morning, you can find it in Christ Jesus. Kathy?